0: What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Matt marinas from White and Blue Review here again for another uh, wrap-up podcast. Uh, I'm joined, pleased to be joined by um, a legend himself. I think. Do we go like? Do we go? <laughs> is it is it is it Lithuanian Red Bull or like is it a Canadian is it a Canadian no, Canadian brand of it, energy? it's still can, it's okay. still Canadian
1: Red Bull. It will always be Canadian Red Bull because okay. if I. Choose it by the country I'm playing in at the time, then where I'm going to have like six or seven different aliases at this point. So always Canadian Red Bull. I'm surprised we haven't seen you on billboards yet. Like in your post college career, I feel like there's a
0: missed opportunity still out
1: there. You know what? Honestly, Red Bull needs to pay me, especially for like the Nebraska area distribution. That might've spiked. Yeah. Come on.
0: Yeah. Like let's (laughs) hit, let's hit hit up some Casey's general stores and see if we can get it going. Like, yeah. Back in those old stopping grounds. Um, but yeah, so Jahan's got here. We're gonna break down Creighton's ninety eight seventy four win over Nebraska. What better way to have the man on for any game than that one, right? <laughs> you this probably wasn't gonna the ret- one I wanted to do. <laughs> you probably weren't gonna return my calls if
1: they had lost. So like this is probably the best way to <laughs> get it going. Well, uh, I remember how upset I was after that one point loss against Kansas. So if you would have asked me to do it then, maybe I would have denied the call, but after the second half that we had against Nebraska, for sure, like, let's get it done. Let's talk about this game. I'm very excited to be here and provide a little bit of my insight of what I saw. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's just start with, like, a general
0: overview. What did you feel like were um, some of, like, the immediate keys in your mind that you saw Creighton able to do in terms of why they were able to flip that thing and open the game up the way they were in the second half?
1: I think overall the energy uh was just different. I don't know what Max said to them at halftime but it clicked. It resonated with those guys and uh you could tell uh from pretty early on that they just wanted to step their foot on the gas and not let go. And uh man when that team starts hitting they start hitting and it reminded me a lot of the 2014 team that I played with uh once a couple of guys start making shots it's kind of like a domino effect and then mm-hmm. everybody's making shots so uh, that kind of happened tonight, and um, a guy I've been extremely impressed with since the beginning of the season is Bishop. Man, he's improved so much, and uh, tonight was not his uh, night in the first half at all. But again, his energy level switched, got a couple of deflections, moved his feet defensively, got a couple of dunks, and before you know it, you look up, and he's a very productive night. So uh, I just think that second-half energy was all that they needed to, to carry that game home. Yeah, I thought you could, like, really tell from the from the outset, like, in the second half, because,
0: you know, the, the first half wasn't, like, poorly played. I thought – I think I think everybody was kind of sped up a little bit because they wanted to – I think there was a lot of
1: juice that they were trying to create themselves without a crowd there. Um, and, it yeah, was and that's giddy. the thing that we have to also be patient. Like, it's not easy to play without a crowd, especially with our team. Like, we're so used to – getting that feedback from the crowd getting that buzz from the crowd like it really elevates our play especially early in games so i'm forgetting that these guys are 18 19 20 going through this uh even myself as a pro right now playing in empty arenas it's very difficult to create your own er- energy so mm-hmm. i could see why that's something that could hold them back early in game and for them to figure it out as the game uh goes on yeah and then like you see like those first couple possessions like some of those staples
0: of what, who they are, like that dribble penetration spray, you know, uh jump stop, shot fake, draw a defender, find an open man. Like they generated some good looks that they missed early in that second half. And you felt like, okay, they're obviously kind of like playing within themselves now. So if they just get shots to fall, it might start to snowball here. But like, Mm -hmm. since you've had a, since you've had some like firsthand experience with that, like, what does a team feel like when they have the ability to string together multiple possessions for a five or six minute stretch of a game that, you know, if you're clicking, you can put the thing away. Like it doesn't matter when it happens. If you can get it locked in for a,
1: for just like a media timeout or whatever, you can put the game out of reach. Uh, well, one thing it helps with is that you never lose confidence, even mm-hmm. if, Like you said, we're setting up good shot good shots driving kicking um, getting great looks and it's not going in at first. You just have the confidence like okay we did the right thing, though, and if we continue to do the right things. The ball is going to eventually fall we're too good of shooters We're too good of players for it not to so uh, like I said the 2014 team was something that was very special. Whereas when you Ethan, when you Doug, myself, Grant, Austin, uh, Avery, we could all make shots. Um, it's just Isaiah. It's just a matter of time before you know one or two start falling, and we just never lost confidence in that. And uh, same thing happened today. Like you mentioned, beginning second half, create some great looks. Doesn't go down, and that's fine. You know, uh, we we're playing the right way. We're not playing out of character. As long as we keep it going, we're too good of players. We're too good of shooters for it not to go in. So, like that's
0: what Mac told the team at halftime. Was like he felt like they weren't trusting the offense enough. They were kind of being too aggressive, almost, and looking for their own offense and driving at defenders and trying to finish over over length. And they it kind of played in Nebraska's hands defensively. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but but again, like he all he he was he was most impressed with the way the players responded to a simple instruction. Like guys, this is not who we are. Like, trust the system, trust each other, and it's going to happen. How much – like, how do you learn to have faith in that? Because it sounds, like, simple. Like, just trust each other, right? Like, that's a simple instruction. And if you don't understand it, it's uh, it's probably hard to just go on the court and do it. But, like, how does something like that help a player, especially in Creighton's program, kind of, like,
1: refocus and understand what that means
0: when he says something like that?
1: Um, I think it has a lot to do with just uh, repetitions and seeing guys in the gym over and over again. Like, uh, I don't know how the guys are doing it now, but uh, we would be in the gym two together, three guys together shooting. So once you see your teammate knocking down shot after shot, and then it's your turn to go up and you start knocking down shot after shot. When you see that every single day and you see all those repetitions and all those hours spent in the gym, it's easy. When a coach reminds you, hey, trust this guy, trust that guy, he's going to make the shots, he's going to make the right reads, it's easy to have that because it's built in. It's embedded in you at that point because you've just seen all those repetitions, you see all those hours be put in the gym, so – Uh, This team, man, the the sky's the limit for them. I I really love the way that they move the ball. I really like the way that they communicate. This is the first time that I can actually hear real communication. I know, right? That's like one of the benefits of no crowd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As now a fan of the program, uh, just to hear it, even like through the uh, TV uh, settings and all that stuff, it's pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think those guys have a really good shot this year at doing something big.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just to dive into the box score a little bit here and talk about some some individuals, like, you know, I think I could describe Marcus Zagorowski to you and you would understand, like, how he's wired because you've played with guys who are, like, gym rats and just, like, hyper-competitive and will hold themselves to a high standard if they mm-hmm. if they have a game where they didn't meet that, right? Like, so for him, obviously, the Kansas game where he leaves the last one at the free throw line, Um that,
1: like, in that moment right there could break his heart, right? Because I, I already know he didn't sleep that night. Like, I already mm-hmm. know. I right. already know he had nightmares or whatever the case may be, and probably was back in the gym at like 5 a.m. trying to figure it out. So,
0: yeah. Like, how does a play, like, if you just in your experience of being around those guys and being someone who holds yourself to a high standard, like, mm-hmm. how do you wipe something like that? Because that was a big game, right? Like, that was the. Like the cherry on top of their non con, like if they get that one, you know, the national perception of what they can be this year just takes off. Like to leave one on the floor like that, how do you recover from that mentally? Like, w- what do you have to do to make yourself, to make it so you
1: use that in a positive way and not drive yourself crazy and uh, internalize? Oof. I honestly, it's something that I struggle with. Uh, from time to time as well it it's hard very right tough. It has yeah, to be it's difficult. tough to get yourself up especially an opportunity like that like I said I've I'm blessed to actually feel a little bit of a special connection with uh, this year's team uh, traditionally I go back to Omaha in the summertime and I, I hang out with those guys I work out with those guys and sometimes so I really get to know them um, and knowing Marcus that ate him alive I know that for an absolute fact but That kid is about as mentally tough as it gets. I'm sure I'm not, you guys don't need to hear it from me. I'm sure you guys see it. And if you get to talk to the kid and get to know the kid a little bit, you understand that that kid is mentally tough. He's very competitive and you could see he kind of had a chip on his shoulder tonight and he certainly showed Mm -hmm. it. His stroke looked awesome. He looked like he had some good legs under him. Um, He looked unafraid. (laughs) He made the first couple of shots and you knew that he was going to have a big night. So um, it's very tough to get yourself up, but if there's a kid who can do it, it's certainly Marcus. Yeah. Like it's just, uh, you know, you, you want
0: to, you want to be careful with the word special because it can get like, you can get caught up in the moment a little bit and then like start throwing it at, at, as a descriptor in terms of like players or teams that maybe have more deficiencies than you're, than you're like acknowledging in real time. But like he does have, some special intangibles, like, Mm -hmm. you know, from a size standpoint and from a skill standpoint, it's like when he got, you know, to the point where he was getting recruited at a high level, it wasn't like he was a surefire. This dude's going places in the NBA type of type of like when you watch the film, but like when you get to know him, those are the types of dudes that get better because they're driven Um, intrinsically, like they have ways to motivate themselves that Mm -hmm. it's hard for guys to turn on and get that gear going. And it's like you said, like that Kansas game, he probably wanted to disappear into like the smallest particle um, at that free free throw line when he missed that shot, because he knew what was what it meant at the time. But he also knows that's, that's what it, it is, what it is at that point, you took the loss, you missed the free throw, you can go back over and think about the ways that you could have affected the game in a different way throughout, but but you also have to move on because the, the day comes, the next day comes whether you're ready for it or not. And he always does a really good job of kind of being ready for the next day, like in time. Yeah, I think that's what you saw. Like you mentioned the things that you saw today against Nebraska. Like, he comes out and hits the he hits shots off the ball screen that he missed at KU. Like he gets inside, probes the defense, finds an open man, gets a good shot. And then, like, when the camera allows you to get close enough and see him,
1: you see that look in his eye, right? You're like, right, okay, that dude's, that he, dude's he almost in. has – and I know this example might be taken out of context a little bit, but he almost has, like, the Michael Jordan disease where he's saying something to himself to motivate himself from yeah. time to time where, like, maybe the uh, the defender didn't say – bad shot or you're playing with us or whatever but he he will hear that and he'll tell himself that over over, to to himself over and over again and he almost kind of forces himself to step into that next gear Mm -hmm. and then take his game to the next level that's what i kind of saw tonight like you said could have totally been deflated after missing that last free throw and and i saw it in his posture right after he released that shot he realized it wasn't going in Mm -hmm. his shoulders dropped everything his head went down immediately he comes out today, like none of that happened. Uh, you got to be extremely mentally tough or something like that to not eat at you as much as it would the, the average player for sure.
0: Yeah. In terms of finding that, that, that uh, extra motivation, like he, he told, he said in the off season after the fact, but if you guys, if you want to see it, like in, in, and put the pieces together that Jahan just mentioned right there, like uh, walk, go back and watch that Seton Hall game and watch Marcus, <laughs> watch Marcus play. Watch how good he played. Watch how much yeah. he talked, okay? Watch how much yeah. he talked to Quincy McKnight, Miles Powell. And then go back and realize that before the game, Miles Powell actually like went up to Jet Canfield and said he's about to drop 50 on him. And Jet told Marcus, and Marcus took that oh, personally. Geez. So, like, Sweet. take that information, put it together, and watch <sighs> the game. And then you'll see what, what John is talking about there with Marcus so, finding a reason to take something personally
1: and raising his level as a result. I was in Hungary last year, and I watched that game specifically. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, like, yo, Marcus is on one (laughs) today. He is on one. It was every assist, every basket, every even, like, rebound, he had something to say. Mm -hmm. And I was like – and obviously, because he was playing so well, the camera was on him often, and uh, you see a lot of replays, obviously, with the broadcasting crew or whatever every time his face would pop on the screen, his mouth was just moving. And he wasn't calling out sets. He wasn't Mm -hmm. communicating defensively. He was looking for someone to chirp to, to talk to. So Mm -hmm. like I said, I don't want it to be taken out of context. I'm in no way, shape or form saying that Marcus is Michael Jordan. But athletes like that have that type of trigger in them. Yeah. That just allows them to get to that extra gear, and Marcus is definitely one of those guys for sure. And you played with, like, I think Doug gets a gets a different kind of perception oh. because, <laughs> like, that's what I mean.
0: Doug had a killer in, inside of him, right? Like, when he would go Doug. off, he was not afraid to let people know, right? Yeah. Like, so wh- from just in terms of how that permeates throughout the team, when you have a guy that can go to that level in terms of impacting the game and then also – raise the level mentally where you can kind of like destroy an opponent in the basketball side of it and the mental side of it, like with a, with a player like that on your side, how much, like, how much does that amplify what you're, what you're able to do on the court in terms of your potential as a team?
1: It it just, like I said, it's a lot of confidence that just gets permeated throughout the team when your best player is put because that's what you're really doing is you're putting yourself out there. You're putting a lot of attention to yourself It kind of forces you to back it up because you don't like, I'm just speaking of playing alongside Doug. Like, I know once he got going, he definitely didn't want to miss the next shot. He didn't want to make a mistake after that because he knew that the other team was going to use that against him at some point. So once he got going and his mouth got moving and he started to talk a little bit of trash, man, I was like, all right, look, give him the ball, get out the way, let him do what he does. And I think our whole team kind of recognized that, but the flip side, another reason why I really love playing with Doug too, like if I started off the game and I made two out of three threes or whatever, he was really looking for me. He was mm-hmm. extremely unselfish and that's a part of his game that uh, didn't really get talked about a lot because of obviously he scored a ton and he was a leading scorer literally from his inception into a program. So Right. Uh, but if, if one of us got it going, he was really, really searching. And if I would make three threes in a row, Doug would start talking for me and get me to start doing that. I, I communicated a lot defensively and like try to get our guys and our spots but like talking trash. Like especially below his breath, Doug probably top two overall in Crane history. That's but what people don't I, realize. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who's actually better than him. But under his breath, man, he said some some crazy <laughs> things to the opponent that that you guys will never know. <laughs> what was the
0: uh, like? What do you do? You ever have a like a memory of a reaction that an opponent had when Doug was going off, and then like laying out those subtle barbs, and then putting an opponent on tilt? Like, can you remember a game where it at, really at Mark at
1: Marquette senior year, really? absolutely, absolutely, uh, Marquette defender said, "Man, you only scoring because this team's setting all these screens for you. All you guys do is set screens for you. That's why you're scoring." Something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. I think Doug went like three possessions in a row where he just caught the ball at the top, pump fake, drove by him layup, pump no fake, stri- No screen. I think no he nothing. went yeah, no screen, <laughs> no nothing, just off the catch, pump fake, went by him, one two dribble, pull up, catch, jab, jab three, attack, pump he did like a little bit of a pirouette, mid range, and then uh, Buzz called a timeout and then Doug just started slapping at the gums on his way back to our bench, so uh, like I said, like those guys, they they find mm-hmm. things that get them fired up. Obviously, that one is more of like a direct interaction with with uh defender. Mm-hmm. But uh, if no one if no one has said anything to him that night, he would have figured out something else to get yeah. him going. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You mentioned like
0: uh, you mentioned Christian Bishop, and and you know tonight was a little bit um, like the the productivity was a little bit hampered because of foul trouble. I mean, first of all, that second – that Trey McGowan stuff is nonsense. Like, that should not even be – like, don't reward that. Don't cheer for that. That's yeah. like That's dirty yeah. stuff. Because he could, he stuck a yeah. leg out. Christian could have got hurt on that play. Like, that's a dangerous, dirty basketball play. Like, it's, there's a line between, like, savvy and and cheap. And I think mm-hmm. that – like, he crossed it in that moment right there. So, that took Christian out of the first half because of foul trouble. Um, that, that dude did not
1: graduate the school of Grant Gibbs. Uh <laughs> I don't that line and yeah, <laughs> I love you. Gibby. don't hold that against me, bro. I love you, dude. <laughs> yeah. But, but like Bishop though, you,
0: when he's on the floor, there's just so much um, impact there. Like def- mm-hmm. even if he's not like touching the ball or scoring defensively, the way he puts his ball screens, recovers in the post, like all that activity where he flies around. Um, he jumps in passing lanes tonight in the second half. Like, um, obviously, the rim, the rim pressure he puts on the the pressure he puts on the rim and the in the in the offense mm-hmm. is is speaks for itself because he yammed on
1: dudes tonight. Um, like a nice little windmill yam too. Yeah. Windmill can level. can we go back into the archive? Is that the first one in Crane history? Because I'm really trying to think. Will Artino texted me this as we were watching the game after the windmill happened. He's like, dude, when's the last time you think you saw a Crane player windmill in a game? I started <laughs> thinking. I'm like, that might have been the first one in history. So, Rob yeah. Anderson, you're going to have to pick this one up for us. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, needs to, Rob needs to get into the archives for that. I, I would If yeah. I were to bank on two
0: dudes who might have yammed on someone like that, it's like I'd either have to go back and watch Marcus
1: Foster or, we, or, we all, or, all, the way,
0: or all the way back to Rodney Buford, like, in the late 90s.
1: Like, see, I, yeah. I knew we were forgetting a legend. No, we Rodney, could, Rodney could fly. Yeah, we started joking around after because I I was like, maybe Taz, I'm trying to think about guys who could get on the break, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, I don't even think Taz would attempt it, not at that point in his career. He would definitely do it now, I think, but not as a uh, freshman, sophomore. Uh, JP, I don't think JP ever had a Mm -hmm. chance to, except that Wisconsin back-to-back Taz JP dunks, that was pretty special, but... He was like uh, a two-handed dunker, mostly. Yeah. He was, yeah. And then i was just like, maybe P. -P 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 Allen, but Mm, i don't know
0: yeah. yeah i would bet on i would bet marcus or rodney were two dudes who could who could win mill so we'll have to check right. um but like but, but to bishop like the impact he puts on has on the game like in ways that probably don't always show up on the box score because if he if he blitzes a ball screen and recovers to the post and deflects an entry away and prevents a layup that doesn't show up on as anything but that's that's a right. major impact on that on the game right there like,
1: how, uh, well, what I've noticed, what I've noticed the most about him, just before we get off that point of him like blitzing skins and stuff like that, defensively he's making awesome reads, <laughs> awesome reads on ball handlers, on rotations and all that stuff. And I'm trying to think back about last year, like some of the games that I was able to catch, he's moving much quicker. His head is in the right spot. His his positioning is so much better. And I like the balance that him and Kaldbrenner have where he's definitely going to be aggressive on ball screens and stuff like that, and Coach Mack puts him in that position. And with Carl Brenner, it's more of, like, sit back, use your length, not as quick a foot, mm-hmm. but allow the, the guy to attack you and then use your length and deal with him once you get into the paint. So I like the dynamic between those two bigs. It, it really works for those guys. Yeah, and the, the thing with Bishop is, like, you know, we were, we were kind of making fun of
0: the the play-by-play or the the color analyst in the first game because he was like, Christian Bishop might be the defensive player of the year. And I was like, whoa, it's like first game, <laughs> like yeah. right out the shoot, like hold up a minute, like he's got, he's got 20 yeah. more of these things or whatever. But it's like the more you watch it, you're like, wow, he really does have a dramatic impact on the defensive end of the floor. Like he can take – like Creighton's defense is probably the one thing if you were to like go year to year to year. You say, like, what's stopping them from being just, like, basically with this offense, a Final Four contender every year? And it's probably the fact that you don't normally have a group of guys who are so dynamic defensively that they can just change the game and the spurts go from, like, what might be, um, like, 12 to 3 or 15 to 3 with a good offensive team. Like, now we're seeing, like, 25 to 2s, like, because they can shut your water off. And when they get stops in terms of rebounds or pick six turnovers, that's easy money on the other end of the floor because they're unbelievable in transition. So, like, what that's, like, what what the Justin Patton did for their defense in terms of taking them to another level um, with rim protection and versatility at the five spots to cover ball screens up. Um, And I think Christian provides that, too, even though he's not probably going to get NBA love like JP did in terms of, like, lottery love, but, like, There's a lot of versatility there and athleticism at that five spot. He kind of fits that new mold of the, like that small ball five that's really disruptive. Um, And I think he raises crate and ceiling like to a dramatic degree because of how disruptive he is on that.
1: Yeah. You could tell too, like he improved his body a lot uh, Mm -hmm. in the summertime and during the time off with COVID and everything, he's bouncy. He's moving around quickly and uh, that's why he's able to hedge out as, as high as he does and able to recover and cover the backside of the defense as soon as someone gets beat on a skip pass or whatever the case may be. Um, but a big thing that helps him as well is, like I mentioned before, the communication. You can actually really hear it on the TV broadcast. Like the communication is there. Those guys are really playing for one, one another. They're really caring for that end of the floor. And, you know, kudos to the coaching staff for, for preaching that uh, day in and day out. I, it takes a lot of reps um, to get to that kind of level uh, that they've shown that they can get to this early in the season mm-hmm. and let's also remember a shorter preseason uh, no preseason games don't have a lot of room to yeah no scrimmages these guys still have a lot of room to improve uh, so I'm excited to see uh, where that's going to take them but no Christian Bishop is definitely a huge part of that and, and he definitely needs to keep it up. Like you said, with the offense that the guys can put up on a night-in, night-out basis, that defensive end of the floor is really what's going to propel them to a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, if we dare to, to talk that big. Uh, it's always one of my biggest regrets that we weren't able to be that first team to make it past the first weekend. I mm-hmm. really wish for this group of guys that they're able to do that and bring Crane, this Crane program up to, that, up to that level with the rest of the colleges in, in the States.
0: Yeah,
1: I think uh, another guy who's kind of like raising his level a
0: little bit and showing, you know, because last year he was in that six-man role, and and people like kind of take that for granted because Denzel baby, yeah, Bitcoin. Denzel Maloney, right? Denzel. Like it's not easy to have like he he had a skill set that he felt like could play at a high level at a power in a power conference school, so to have to take one of his last two years of eligibility and, you know, be selfless in terms of like his role that would help the team be successful. You know, he had to, he had to come off the bench
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's, I mean, he's too good for that. Right. Unless you're on a super stacked team. Um, he had to battle big men because when they went small, um, he was the undersized five. Mm-hmm. And now this year he's kind of like, he's moved, you know, with Tyshawn to the NBA now, he shifted into that wing role that he was more suited for when he got here and the, the, the and what he was able to do successfully at SEMO. Um, do you see him getting more comfortable in that in terms of, like, um, finding his spots on the floor where he's going to be most successful
1: going forward at that wing spot for Creighton? Uh as I think back of watching him last year and watching him with the small sample size from the beginning of this season, the game has really slowed down for him, mm-hmm. uh, especially at that position. I forgot last year, uh, coming off the bench, he was really looking for his uh, as soon as he stepped on the floor. He's a little bit more uh, – he's got a little bit more nuance to his game now where he could kind of lull you to sleep, and the next thing you know, you look up and he's got 11 points. Like, well, where did that come from, you know? Right. And that's just because he's spawning up, he's cutting, he's crashing the board, he might get a put back here or there. Uh, and his body type, man, he, he's strong as an ox. He could get downhill on you. Poor poor guy from Nebraska who took the charge on him tonight because that looked like it hurt. <laughs> I'm the charge king, and I yeah. promise you I'm moving out of the way if he's lowering his shoulder on me, so... Uh, I've I'm, I'm been very impressed with how he's looked. And th- with that saying that, he missed the first game, right? He was out with COVID, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. he was still getting his legs under him. They didn't rush him to, to play that first game. But he's only three out of the four games in. He's only going to get better. Um, and he's going to be an integral part of the team. And uh, like I said, I just think he's got a little bit more nuance where he doesn't feel the need to rush his shot. He knows his shots are coming. He just has to be efficient when they come. And so far, he's, he's held up to that end a bargain. And uh, he's looking great. He's looking amazing, actually.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing that's going to be pretty important for him. Um, you know, continuing on through the season and, and kind of like settling into what he, what he can do, but what Creighton needs from him at the same time, like finding that balance, I guess. Like, because I think in the first half, if he were to go back and watch that film, he would probably think he was a little bit too aggressive. Maybe, like, Mm -hmm. you know, there were some shots where he – because he wasn't catching and thinking very much. He was catching and letting it go, which is part of Creighton's DNA. you got to have that because you got to be shot ready wherever you're at on the floor. But I think he, like, slowed the game down a little bit more in the second half because he started making more plays um, for teammates. He started filling in um, spots on the floor that were open away from defenders, not necessarily settling in certain spots and shooting contested jumpers because the looks he got in the second half were clean. Um, the plays he was able to make, he ends up with 20 and 20 points and four assists. And I think if you get that or somewhere around that range, if it's like a 15 and three from Denzel Mahoney, that's an uptick from what you got last year, as opposed to just come off the bench, be a microwave. You're going to battle some guys that are not your position and it's going to be tough. Um, like if you want, but this year playing in the role that he's more suited for, if you can settle into that 15 point, like three or four assist range, and you know, as an average, and level it up to to what we saw tonight around twenty and five in each category. Like that's that's dangerous because he fills in that role that they're going to miss with Tyshawn gun. And that's the that was the question coming into the season, right? Because they basically had everything back, and and they probably got better in terms of their depth and their talent level in the post, right? Um, they had a lot of leadership back, so it's like the question was, how do you how do you replace Tyshawn? Tyshawn, the guy that can. That can shut some dude's water off. Get buckets. Be efficient. Mm-hmm. Be low turnover. Like that's a really hard
1: piece to replace, right? I, I uh, think. I think like with you saying that, this team will figure out as the season goes on that it doesn't necessarily have to be one individual yeah. that needs to like, come, uh, you know, take over for what Tyshawn did. They could certainly do it by committee, which is why I love the dynamic of having Jones, of having Denzel, and having DJ. Three guys who are same kind of build, who can all defend very well at a high level if they choose to, Uh, who can switch uh, off of, like, the main guy. You know, if you got one guy that's really got it going on the other team, you could throw Denzel at him, you could throw Antoine at him, you could throw uh, DJ at him. And see if one of those guys could, could lock him up for that day. You know, you don't need to be like, okay, this is going to be Tyshawn's uh, assignment and it's Tyshawn's alone and, and it's his job to shut it down and we live and die with that. Not that they did that too often last year, but when the going got tough, it was always Tyshawn that stepped up. All right, mm-hmm. I'm defending this guy as their best perimeter player. Um, you could do it by committee this year for sure. Um, there's there's lots and, of guys. Who, probably, I mean, Sharif's capable of it. it. I was I was about to mention <clears throat> Sharif as well. Um, those guys like you could throw multiple guys who who are all who could be extremely good defensively if they put their minds to it. Now that's always the toughest part, and that's always the question mark: is are these guys going to be willing to do it night in and night out to sacrifice a little bit of offense to make sure that that defensive presence is there? I think Denzel is most certainly built for a role like that. Um, and I just love how solid uh, DJ has become. Mm-hmm. I love the growth in his game as well. I don't think he's someone that gets enough shine on this team, and, and, mm-hmm. but he's going to be the hard, hard hat, uh, lunch pill guy that's going to bring it every night for sure. Uh, I already want to say he's going to be the unsung hero of this team because he can really be an X factor on some nights. Uh, you already know what you're going to get from Marcus. You know what you're going to get from uh, Bishop. You know what you're gonna get from Mitch, you know what you're gonna get from Denzel. If DJ could really round out that starting five, you're looking at a really, 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 really dangerous team. The lunch pail, like the lunch pail
0: connotation fits him perfectly, doesn't it? Because you see, like yeah. he does everything. Everything. But, but it's like you said, <laughs> he, does he doesn't everything. get he doesn't yeah. get shine because it's like it comes in, like he does this. Then he'll do that. Then he'll do that. Mm-hmm. There isn't, like, an accumulation of one thing that would stand How out to you. All at a really high there. level, too. Yeah. Like, you yeah. see him get, like, he got some second-chance points tonight from Creighton, getting offensive boards against bigger defenders, um, cleaning those dudes off the glass and getting an easy layup. He can get to the free throw line. He can shoot the ball from the perimeter. And he doesn't get guarded out there either. So, like, right. he can knock down one or two open ones a game. He's deadly in transition. He's much better in terms of his defensive positioning. Um, and his communication is moving
1: that ball around the ball is not sticking in his hands. So, uh, to just like that right there is something that we don't really talk about much, but ball movers, especially in this kind of offense is very important. The ball's coming and he's attacking or he's moving it Mm -hmm. today. He was able to get some defensive rebounds, bring the ball up the floor, uh, caught the big guys on a seal inside. And I think Coburn had a nice one he sealed the guy, kept the ball nice and high, put it off the board, forced Nebraska to call another timeout. So, uh, like I said, unsung hero for sure. Like, by the end of the season, we're going to be singing his spree at some point. But he's not going to be the guy that's going to get the shine night in and night out. Yeah. But he needs to understand that because there's so much talent around him, because guys are a little bit more flashier than he is as as players, that doesn't mean, you know, I, I'm going to stop doing my job. No, his job is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. He's kind of like the glue that holds that starting five together. Uh, and, and he really is going to play an important role for this team's success. He fits like one of those dudes who's
0: like, you don't realize how valuable they were on the floor until, they don't, until they're not on the floor. Like, right. what's this, exactly. like, okay, what's this team missing right now? Okay, well, they could probably use someone to crash the glass. Okay, they could probably use someone to fly around for a loose ball and, and like get some momentum. They could probably use someone to run out in transition and get a quick, easy finish and like put two on the board and halter run he does all those things right all, like those are non-negotiables when he's on the floor <laughs> dj's gonna do them. like that's again a
1: at a point. very high level too yeah. like at a very high level I, i'm i've always been impressed with how he plays i think i'm seeing it more and more now um I, obviously as i get older i'm understanding the game a little bit more i understand uh like what i'm watching especially in real time like he made a couple of plays tonight that were like very impressive that's not going to show up on the box score that's not uh, going to show up in highlights or replays or anything like that but it helps to keep the positive momentum going the extra passes the hockey assists, all that stuff mm-hmm. dj is one of the guys that does all those things at an extremely high level so he needs to keep that up for sure
0: let's uh jump into the twitter sphere and see what kind of questions we got um mm-hmm. Mm, 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 mm. Where should we start? Sorry, I got to scroll back a long ways. You're a popular
1: guy. No, you
0: know are right? good. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I Jay- oh my god!
1: Rolling. Yeah, I saw a lot of questions roll in near the end of the game too. So I'm excited to answer some of these questions. It's fun to interact with the fans. I I actually miss it a lot, man. That's one of the things I miss the most for sure. Yeah, we need to get you back on here just so people can tap in more.
0: <laughs> um, let's start with this one's kind of unrelated, but uh, this is from Hilltop alum. Um, so he wants to know what's your favorite like uh, Creighton, Nebraska memory? And obviously, you Whoa. watched the twenty-four, you watched the twenty fourteen game to get ready for this
1: one tonight, so yes, I'll I I be fresh in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so full disclosure, like when I know that I'm staying up because it's really late here right now. It's, yeah, you're uh, eight hours ahead of the rest time, right? It's 5.19 a.m. This is the vacation right here, by the way. Um, <laughs> but champion, uh, I have nothing to do tomorrow. I'm probably going to be sleeping in all day tomorrow. But so full disclosure, I like to go back and watch a lot of that 2013-2014 team that I was a part of, obviously, for nostalgia's sake. And it's just so many great memories, so many um, moments that i would like to not forget that i catch myself when i'm bored sometimes i'll just throw on an old game it, it could be like uh, first ever biggies game one of my favorites game to watch tonight's game was the nebraska uh let's call it a beatdown that we put on them at at uh century link at the pretty time. sure that's that's fair
0: yeah yeah is well, that fair because i don't want to more be than fair
1: more than fair more than fair <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful. So I'm like, look, I have to stay up anyways. I don't want to fall asleep and miss the game. I had already told you that we were going to do this. I I already committed my time for that. So I'm like, well, let me just throw on the game in the background and and see uh, some of the highlights. So that game overall is one of my favorite feelings. Looking up at the scoreboard and seeing 40 to 10 was probably one of my favorite uh, Husker moments. And then you get the Petaway versus Gibbs uh, brawl at the end which was also Gibbs had pretty the memorable. Lot.
0: Gibbs wanted to get that treatment early in before, right? Like, no, oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. And again, I get to watch the when I was at school, when you go back and you watch film, you don't get to necessarily watch a TV broadcast. Now I get to watch the TV broadcast and hear what those guys were saying. And to hear Bill Raftery <laughs> commenting on how quickly the league like, ballooned, I think at one point like with two minutes left at half he said he said did anyone expect this and then his other like caller commentary that i was with was like this is nebraska's worst nightmare (laughs) or something like that like something along those lines so i i love doing stuff like that that's that game is definitely my favorite like memory of of a crane nebraska um game for sure gotcha yeah um
0: next one same uh same person different question And this is – I think we have a theme with this one, so I think another, another person had a question just like this too. Um, and it's a popular one, I'm warning you. We get asked this question, like, oh, every game of every season. All right, let's hear. Can this team reach its goals if Mitch is not a main factor on the score sheet? And I'm always like we, – we just got done talking about DJ. But it's like, mm-hmm. yes, because you don't understand the value of what Mitch does from – like, just think about gravity, right? Like, think about gravity. He pulls an entire defensive scheme with him because of how much range uh-huh. he has. And then he's also a great passer, low turnover guy, moves like nobody's business, never gets tired. Like, they don't realize right. – if he's not – everyone's like, why isn't he shooting more? You don't realize he's affecting the game just by being on the floor. Because, like, look at the Seton Hall game last year on the road. He went scoreless – and four dudes went in double figures and they scored in the 80s. Like, you don't realize, like, Mitch impacts the game uh, if he doesn't even get a shot.
1: I'm going to try and use this analogy to, like, to try and really describe my my feelings on Mitch and how, uh, like you said, like the gravity that he has on the court is so important to the spacing mm-hmm. of that team. If DJ is able to shoot 34 to 37 percent from three this year it will have a huge part to do with why Mitch is on the floor because he's going to get so many open looks because they're not going to want to leave Denzel they're not going to want to leave Marcus they're not going to want to leave Mitch he's going to be the guy that they're going to kind of say you know what you're going to have to beat us with the outside shot if he's able to shoot that high of a percentage and with the potential for it to be higher it's because Mitch is on the court whether he scores Ten threes a night or zero threes a night mm-hmm. because they're not going to want to leave him. He pulled up from the logo yeah. the other yeah. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Right. Like, I saw, I've seen two guys, three guys do that. I've seen Doug do it. I've seen Ethan do it. I've seen Mitch do it. That's it. No one else. And you and know what that does for the crazy brothers, up. right? Like, how does that, how much Marcus does that, in, gets,
0: yeah. How much does Marcus, that improve your shooting percentage? Yeah. If, you're, if Doug and Ethan are on, how much? How many open looks are you getting that?
1: I was a beneficiary of those guys uh, because I was a pretty decent shooter in my own right, but probably shot like three or four, maybe five percentage higher than I would have Mm -hmm. if they weren't on the floor with me. I ended my career shooting, I think, like 41% from three or something like that. That's because the the ball movement was good. And there was other guys that the defense was extremely worried about. And then I, I became one of those guys, and then Grant's percentage went up, and Austin's mm. percentage went up. It's mm-hmm. it's just kind of like the domino effect of, uh, when you have really good shooters out there, the spacing is so much better. The, why are we able to throw so many, lobs to the lobs. Christian at the lot yeah when Mitch is the backside guy that the defense is scared to rotate mm-hmm. off of? That that's always going to be that way. And Coach Mac, his X's and O's, especially offensively, man, like can can you name me three better coaches in a nation, X's and O's offensively. I don't know, but he's gonna find a way to use Mitch. Uh, whether or not teams leave him open, he's gonna find a way to use Mitch to get uh the offense where he needs it to be. And if that opens up stuff for Christian, if that opens up stuff for everybody else, is because his gravity is so big uh that it allows that. It's a little bit of like the Stephen Clay Right. To Draymond Green effect. The reason Draymond Green was so successful, especially in those early Golden State years, was because there was so much attention on Stephen Clay that all of a sudden he's shooting 34% from three. We know he's not a 34% uh, three point shooter, but he's getting those looks. So he's mm-hmm. making those shots. Any decent player can make open shots. So uh, yeah, no, Mitch's uh, value is not necessarily what the scoreboard says after the game or the box score says after the game. It's, mm-hmm. it's everything else that he, he comes to. It's the leadership. It's the defensive communication. It's the floor spacing. And then it's the heat checks that we all love to see. Right. right. That's what he is. Yeah. <laughs> so in a short answer, yes.
0: But it's like, I guarantee just, you know, I'm just going to say this. I don't like to make these blind, uh, you know, <clears throat> declarations, but I'm betting you right now, just like as a challenge to, everyone out there who's listening to this who wants to know why Mitch can be like the MVP of a game without shooting, go back and watch every clean ball screen lob that Creighton has finished at the (laughs) rim. And then look how many times there's not a backside defender stopping that lob from happening because they're tagging Mitch wherever he's at, whether he's at the logo, like it's his side of the floor. What he does to open up that backside lob in, those, in that pick-and-roll game, watch how easy it is that Creighton gets that gets that playoff as much as they do. Because you're like, you like teams know Creighton loves a pick-and-roll lob at the rim. Why do they get it five times a game? Right. Go watch Mitch. Go watch where yeah. he's on the floor. <laughs> You'll see why. It. <laughs> yeah. Coaches aren't stupid. Defenses aren't dumb. Players know the scout. It's just impossible to cover that much court. Because you can't – right. if you're, if you're going to cover up Mitch Christian exactly. or Kalkbrenner, that's giving up two. Exactly. And if you're leaving Mitch, Marcus has that flip-back option. That's an easy three.
1: And, and then one of my uh, – Bishop who swings it to uh, – let's call it Denzel on the wing. All Coach Mack does is place Mitch on that opposite corner. And you're like, oh, a slip is coming. Slip comes from the big – pass it inside because they don't want to rotate off Mitch off the weak side. It's an easy layup. It's an easy dunk for Bishop for the most part. And all it took was two passes, a fake ball screen, and slipped down, right down. is because Mitch is in that corner. They do not want to leave him. So mm-hmm. they do a good job with spacing and finding creative ways to to involve him, even though he doesn't touch the ball. And that's going to continue to get guys open, and guys have to continue to make shots and and make the defense honor everybody. Yeah. That's my
0: challenge to everybody, because I know everybody's like, Mitch is a great shooter. He should shoot more. Just go back and watch every single one of those live plays, and you'll see, like, how many assists Mitch is actually should actually get if they track that sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, Jordan Scurry chums in with a question we answered on Twitter, but I feel like it's so <laughs> awesome we should talk about it now.
1: Uh, windmill, one out of ten for Christian Bishop. What you all give it? I gave him a seven. I'll, I'll actually give him an eight. It's getting more and more impressive that I can't think about anyone else's windmill in the game. That has so to I'm increase gonna, your score, right? Eight. Like it has to. Yeah. To, yeah. Because of that, your score. And also, uh, I just I'm also impressed with the one, the deflection, two, out hustling the guy, and then three, cutting him off, giving yourself room to windmill it. Impressive, athletic move all around. So you know what, you're right. I'll up it to eight. I gave him a seven. Mm-hmm. Scurry, I'm, I'm not gonna hate on my man's. I'll give him an eight. I'll give him an eight
0: for sure. I, I think I got to go eight and a half. For well, number one reason is because, like you said, it wasn't a cherry picked. uh It wasn't a cherry picked dunk. Like he mm-hmm. pretty much created that whole sequence for himself, right? And then, and then he ended it with a with a windmill. The reason mm-hmm. I'm going eight and a half and not like ten is because he didn't catch a body like DeLano Benton. <laughs> <laughs> DeLano Benton was smart. He kind of like backed off a little bit, slowed his run yeah. up. And, He's he's only in yeah. the play as like a highlight watching. He's not in it as in like being dumped on. So mm-hmm. eight and you a half a business decision. Yes, business decision. Eight and a half because of Panton's business decision. But definitely something Christian should try more often. I think
1: like it looked clean. Uh, it looked like he's done it before. So I think he's got he's got it in his look. Arsenal. Obi OB Toppin turned himself into a lottery pick because every time he got a steal, he did something freaky with it. So, Christian, right. look, I'm I'm not saying anything, brother, but if you want to get up there, the <laughs> blueprint is right there in front of you, dude. Go between the legs next time, bro. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was just you and the rim go off the glass sometimes. Like, try some stuff.
1: All <laughs> right um this one's from this is also coming from the guy who notoriously missed a layup against you and i so two points is two points you know what <laughs> hey, Do what you gotta do <laughs>
0: but you're always gonna have you're always gonna have two things one that layup against wichita state which you know uh-huh. essentially gives you free drinks for life in omaha um and then the dunk against marquette on new year's eve night first big east game no matter how much mac wants to hate on it but the hands were above the rim that counts so. we call
1: it a barely dunk where I'm from. Yeah. We'll call it a flush. Maybe a flush is better. Like it's just you nice. Know, you're, you're up there. It sounds it sounds better than, than yeah. mine. So yeah.
0: <laughs> um this one's from Andrew. He wants us to uh please address how Creighton actually won that second half, because it wasn't the threes, even the
1: TV said so. Um Yeah, you just want to give that off first. Uh I would just it's an avalanche of Hard work, smart play, good decision-making, and then execution. You put all those things together, good things are going to happen. What can I say? We were all witnesses to that tonight. First half, like, like I said, it's not like they played terrible in the first half, but a little bit, they were pressing it a little bit, not trusting each other enough. They go into halftime, regroup, talk to each other, communication level goes up, defense goes up, effort goes up. Everything else on the offensive end comes after that. And uh, when they went on a seminal run was, I think when it really started to, to separate themselves from Nebraska tonight, the, I think at one point the broadcaster said it was like a 23-2 to two run. Uh, but it, it got sparked from that seminal run where they made a couple of shots, they made a couple of layups at the rim, got some stops, uh, kept attacking, forced uh, uh, the mayor to call a couple timeouts. Um, call him the mayor. <laughs> the mayor, he's the mayor. What I mean, I, I respect. Look, respect I, on, I respect, on respect on the knowledge. I'm a historian, <laughs> I, and I love like stories and stuff like that. When I mean, you've earned a nickname like the mayor, I'm calling you the mayor. I'm okay. sorry. I like it. But uh, and also he was Doug's coach in Chicago for a cup of tea. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. Uh, when, when all those things come together, then you just have this noble effect of, of good play. And then guys just don't have to press so much. They just have mm-hmm. to accept, like, look, if I do the right thing, the ball's going to come back to me, and then I could be happy with how the ball is moving. And I think the guys accepted that at halftime, and everybody were beneficiaries of, of good, solid basketball. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Like, it's just the avalanche comes
0: when you – when you do all those things that we talked about earlier in terms of trusting what's on the floor with you, because when you get on a roll, then the other team gets on tilt and then right. you're just feeding off of their like negative vibes because they're making uncharacteristic mistakes and it's only in ha- it's only playing into your hands. So that helps you uh, sustain those runs. And that's why it looks like an avalanche. Cause you're like, you're executing at a high level in all phases of the game. And then they're kind of like, you know, crumbling
1: from inside and they're making uncharacteristic mistakes that you can feed off of and enhance the lead. So that's kind of how it goes. I also wanted to add, like, I was pretty impressed with Nebraska with how they played in the first half because mm-hmm. they were the team – they looked like a really solid team. They were really gelling together. The ball was moving. They were unselfish and all that stuff. They really pushed Crane to make some uncharacteristic mistakes every once in a while. But you can really see, I guess, where they need to develop a little bit if I'm going to critique their side as well. Uh, as soon as the going got tough, it went straight to a one-on-one basketball yep. and the ball movement was not happening anymore. The ball stuck complete opposite of what Creighton did. Creighton, when the going got tough, they started moving the ball more, trusting each other more. And before you know it, you're getting open shots, good looks, runouts, windmill dunks, and then the rest is history. So, mm-hmm. um, good job for the boys in the second half to really lock in and bring all that, bring all of that together. For sure. Uh, Martin
0: Malone wants to know. First of all, we gotta stop with the Ziggy nickname. That's don't <laughs> like Gus Johnson is trying to make that a thing, it's not a thing. Stop it. Yeah. So like that's just my PSA yeah. to everybody that's trying to make that work. Don't. Um, yeah. so he's like, Have you noticed Ziggy not going to the rim as much this year? Tonight was better, but wondering if he still doesn't trust the knee. So let's break this down into two elements. Uh the first one being coming off of an injury because you have had experience doing that before. Like, so how long do you feel like it takes a player that's like dynamic that can, you know, cause you can get to the rim, you can shoot. Um, how long, if you're dealing with an injury like that, does it take for you to trust that in terms
1: of like being able to do everything in the game? So my junior year uh, during two a days, I got a deep thigh contusion from Gregory Echenique. Oh yikes at that point, yeah. Uh, my on my right leg. At that point I was six one, six two whatever a buck seventy five to Gregory to six eight two thousand, whatever you wanna
0: call it. <laughs> it could have been but, could uh, have been killed.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um so that happened at two days. It took me Honestly, the rest up until preseason um, exhibition games, I didn't feel right with my right leg until a third of the season uh, went on, which is why I, I started really slow my junior year. Like, people sometimes ask me, like like, you were such a good shooter sophomore year. I think I shot almost at, at like a 50% clip from three. And then it dropped down to like 31 to start my junior year. I was really struggling to get back, not only in shape, like to trust my leg again. And I was nowhere near, I didn't have the burden on my shoulders that Marcus has. I was nowhere near the dynamic player that Marcus is at this stage in his career already. Um, And I didn't tear my meniscus. It was a contusion. Mm -hmm. So like, we're going to have to give these guys some time to really get their legs back because COVID has altered the way that they've had to operate. This is not a regular offseason, season like I mentioned before. And especially for a guy coming off an injury, what you need is the reps. And until he gets the actual reps, you're not going to see him, for the most part, I don't think, attack the basket as ferociously as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why he's getting more into like his pull-up. He is off the dribble threes and stuff for the time being. Mm-hmm. but you just need to give him time and that, that kid is a good basketball player a yeah. smart basketball player and once he feels that he's able to do all the things that he's capable of doing he's going to attack the rim he's going to do his up and unders he's going to do his his uh, fakes and coming back on the other side and finishing over bigs mm-hmm. and he's going to look just like he did last year and also for someone who has an injury history sometimes the toughest part is to get back on that horse. And he's going to get back on that horse, but we just have to allow him a little bit of time to uh, get his legs back under him and, and, and then he'll be fine.
0: Yeah. I think the one thing you're seeing that him, like in terms of his adjustment until he feels like, you know, he can turn like go full gear and get to the rim like he used to. It's like, he's probing a lot more efficiently now. Like he'll go, he'll come around ball screen. And like last year at this point of the year, he'd probably pull up into that mid range and, you know, knock down a jumper like he did that a lot against mm-hmm. Nebraska, against Texas Tech, uh, Michigan. Like he was getting into that intermediate range, raising up and shooting right. Like right. you know, you're seeing more examples now today of like that true facilitator where he's coming off that ball screen that they're t- they're running him off the line. He, and, then he, and he kind of like sets up a big man. He like rocks him to sleep a little bit and then surveys the floor. Like his peripheral vision is great and he sets up open shooters because they defenders know he can hit that mid range jumper. They know he can get to the rim and they know he can shoot the three. So when you're trying to stop a guy who can score at all three levels, you have to give them something. They're giving him that intermediate range off that ball screen sometimes, but he's not always looking for his. He's looking for others. Um, So I think that's the one thing you're seeing him level up in terms of his feel for the game. He gets to that spot and he knows he can score there. He knows he can get a good shot up. But he also knows, hey, if I just like slow the game down for a tick, maybe I can find someone, you know, flashing off the wing, who's you know ready for a for an easy skip out pass and can raise up and shoot a three, as opposed to me shooting in a mid range two. But I think that's one thing that, you're seeing in terms of that like right.
1: That's a good point that you just brought up too, because I also see it in this light. He's actually getting better because he's understanding some of the limitations that he has right now. So he's figuring out different ways to not only get himself going, but to get everybody going. Like you said, he's coming off the ball screen. He's holding the defender on his back as he's probing and looking around. It's not something that you necessarily saw him do at a high clip last year. Mm -hmm. He did it from time to time. His default was, oh, I got to step on the big guy. I could probably get by him, put my shoulder into him, and try to finish at the rim. This year, he's a lot more intelligent with his attack because he's kind of been forced to be intelligent. And I think it's only going to help him in the long run because once he gets his explosion back and he puts everything together, that's a monster right there. There's not much that you can do with that guy. So yeah, uh, I I just want him to continue to improve. I know that he will. And we just, like I said, we just have to exercise a little bit of patience for this unusual year uh, where guys are still trying to figure out uh, how to get their legs under him. Yep.
0: Um, Next question. Why is white and blue (laughs) Why is White and Blue Review the best place for coverage of CU Hoops? Well, it's because guys like Jahan's here will call in from Lithuania at 5 in the morning their time and talk about a basketball game. So that's probably partly the reason, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Katie Heider wants to know, <laughs> cross-court passes, why?
1: <laughs> Look, listen. Look uh, before, the floor, baby. The, the true- floor. The true, the true answer to that is we don't really know. As as basketball players, we literally don't. Like sometimes you think it's so open and then all it takes is for one hand out of nowhere to just kind of present itself and the pass gets deflected. I remember, I, I, I'm I referring back to my 2014 team. Of I feel like I'm bringing everybody down memory lane with me. And I'm sorry if that's not the thing that you tuned in for, but we were able to get a lot. Pretty of skip sure they'd passes. be okay with like four hours of that. If like. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were able to get away with a lot of our skip passes and cross court passes because Doug created so much attention that those passes were open. Now I there was a couple times tonight where we got the basketball tipped or or we turned the ball over or off coming off a ball screen thinking that we got something we don't have it and our bailout pass being the one across the court uh, now that's something that the guys are gonna have to look at the tape and I'm sure I mean Mac is a stickler for things like that uh, yeah. he's gonna really drill in the details of where he needs guys to be uh, or if that's not the pass that he wants in the offense he's gonna tell him basically to cut it out but like I, I see some of the things that the guys see there's A plethora of shooters on this team and you want to get them the ball they're on the opposite corner and they look open so for that split second you you pass it as hard as you can but nebraska did a good job of of using their length and deflecting passes and going the other way with it especially in the first half um the 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 true answer that i have is i i don't know sometimes we see things and we think they're open and you know, athletes nowadays, they're, they're really good at baiting you into stuff like that and then yep. running through that passing lane and going the other way with it. So, I know defensively I, I do that. So, Yeah, just take a step or two off the shooter and kind of like, it. yeah, make them think it's open. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, one of the th- – I understand the frustration with it when it – I mean, it only gets criticized when it doesn't go well, obviously. So, it's like anything. Right. But uh I think – I understand it from a standpoint of like when you see, like you said, Creighton has so many shooters that when you see one of them open, you're like, okay, that's bucket. Let me get that ball there. Yeah. So the thing I think that's going to come with more time on the floor and repetition, like you mentioned, um, and even though it's a group, and it, the fact that it's a group that's been together means that the, they'll get there eventually quicker than they would if they were a new team. Um, it's like there's a, you know, when you've got a team that's loading strong side. Um, and you feel like there's weak side opportunities to get – if you can get the ball there, like, you know, attack – like, shot, fake, attack, a closeout, get in the paint. You kick that out, maybe you're kicking out to that guy who you think was open in the first place and could have made that skip pass to originally. Mm -hmm. But it might not lead to that guy getting a shot. You'll get it to him. It'll force a closeout. But what you've done now is you've forced, like, the – you've changed the defense. Like, you moved it. Because where they went from strong side to you, now they're chasing you to the paint. Now they're rotating out to the corner or wherever the guy is that's open. Then they have to rotate their defense over to stop that. And then there's like – there's little skip passes all around the corner with the way they space the floor that you're going to get an open look because the defense can't catch up to the ball. So that's the thing. Like the skip pass looks easy. The thing that they're going to get in their mind in terms of when they get more repetitions down is a couple dribbles to the paint, set your feet, spray, shift out to the corner, shift out to the perimeter, and you're going to get an open shot with a couple more extra passes it's going to be there. That's just the thing that comes with timing right there. It's like they're a little bit impatient right now, and that's why you see a little bit more cross-court passes than you would normally see. But it's in their DNA to make that play. They practice it every day. They drill it all the time. So you'll start to see it operate more efficiently when they start to make those plays and they make those reads. like, okay, he's open now. Mm -hmm. If I make a couple (laughs) dribbles here, draw the defense to me, suck it in a little bit. We can get an open shot even even if it's not generally that dude. Um, Scott Leak wants to know, uh, Sharif Mitchell, Ryan Kalkbrenner, or Antoine Jones? As Creighton goes into Biggie's play, who finishes the year as the sixth man of the year for CU?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be Jones just because he's going to get a lot of opportunities. Now, Kalkbrenner is putting himself in a situation where he might be freshman of the year. Is that too much of a burden to put on him at this point? Because uh, he's coming in, he's being extremely productive. Uh, and it's really quick bursts for the most part, mm-hmm. but he's very, very productive. And he could change the, um, the the scope of the game when he comes in with using his length, uh, using his presence, Um just to get rebounds get extra possessions on the offensive end like a couple of times tonight he tapped the ball out Uh, he might have not secured an offensive rebound but he slapped it out for us to get another possession um so I'm I'm really high on him but I think it's gonna have to be Jones Uh, I think he's just got more experience than Sharif at this point um I think he's gonna be asked to do more than Sharif especially on the offensive end and uh, you know, six man of the year. A lot of that has to do with stats. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> as far as stats are concerned, if if, if I was going to look to a crane athlete to win sixth man of the year, I would say it's Antoine probably.
0: Yeah, I think um, I'll go with that in a second. Like, I, uh, you know, in terms of like if Clockbender can win freshman of the year, if it's too much, but I don't think it's I don't think it's too much to put on him because I think he's going to be in that running, but like. You know, Posh Alexander for St. John's is a stud already, and he's getting a lot of minutes. Yeah. Uh, same with Dawson Garcia, Dawson Garcia at Marquette. So, like, their roles are bigger than. I, I'm team. saying so, like, that
1: as a biased former player <laughs> and now fan. I have, I don't even, I have even looked at yeah, the landscape totally of the other teams and stuff like yeah. that. I'm saying I'm riding with my guy. That's all that I'm uh, saying. On, on,
0: on my end, that was like that was what we call hype mitigation. Like yeah, <laughs> like, so John Hans put some lofty goals on some dude. I'm like, yeah. okay, let me reel that one in a little bit and give I'm, I'm, like a realist. I'm
1: option. unapologetically putting those expectations on him <laughs> because I would like. Like, can you just imagine if? Let's just say that he's even in that conversation. That's that's just great production coming yeah. off the bench for us as well. So all of it is is a positive um, for the team overall, but. Again, I'm I'm riding with my guy if, yeah, for sure. if we're gonna, I'll, let you. <laughs> I'll allow it we're pick a rookie of the year We can let you the play year. the
0: hype man. I'm just gonna be like, I think it's tough I think it's tough to be a freshman of the year the guy that comes off the bench, so that's all I'm saying.
1: Right. Um, but in terms you. of
0: like the sixth man, I do agree with you that it's Antoine because mm-hmm. and you saw a little bit of it tonight, and I think we got a question like it later, um, coming up here. It's like you saw him um allow them to play that small ball lineup again. Mm-hmm. Like so they came in, you know. Denzel moved to the five. Antoine, who's kind of locked in at the four, and that's kind of all they're really asking of him at the moment is to understand that position and get a, get comfortable with it. But you see how versatile that guy is, especially on the offensive end. Like defensively, there's he there's a lot there's a lot left to go there, um, in terms of just knowing where to rotate, um, where he's supposed to be on the floor that that spot and who he's supposed to guard. But offensively, like in transition, deadly. Passing in transition, deadly. Coming off the coming off a catch and attacking a bad closeout, deadly. He can shoot. He can get to the free throw line. There's a lot to like about like what the way he is able to produce in terms of facilitating and scoring at three different levels. That kind of like make him um, one of your like ideal candidates for a 6 man role coming off the bench, producing in big numbers and short spurts. That adds up as the game goes on, and yeah, yeah at the end of the day. When you're looking for six-man numbers, he's probably going to put them up. Like If you look at what Denzel did last year, yeah. you look at what Antoine's capable of, yeah, it might line up like that. So he is a pretty good candidate for that. I think definitely Antoine would be my pick as well. Um, Adam Hester wants to know – oh, this is a good one. Is there a five-man lineup we have not seen yet or have seen infrequently – that you'd like to see get a few minutes together each game. He felt like he was inspired by the Reef, Marcus, Mitch, Jones, Bishop, Quintet in the second half. Mm-hmm. Intrigued to see more. So, first of all, we got a new we got a new nickname for – because Creighton went small, but they gave Marcus a breather, so they put Sharif at the one. We're calling that the Tylenol PM lineup because it's not quite <laughs> – it's not quite a death lineup, but it can put you to sleep mm-hmm. at the same time. So, like, it won't kill you, but it'll put you down. So, we're calling – when you take Marcus off the floor and go small, Tylenol PM. You, you, guys need, you guys need to come up with it, <laughs> dude. No, come on, that's good. I think you got some good traction. I'm, I'm going with it. You're just being,
1: you're just being a hater. Look, if it look if the fans love it, who am I to say? I didn't know Canadian Rebel was gonna stick. So if you guys can figure out something that's actually okay. stick, See? that's awesome. See, but you might be bad at you might be I, bad at nicknames would...
0: in general, right? Because you didn't like yours. You're right.
1: Uh, a five man lineup damn that's actually it's a really good question I mm-hmm. have to give it a little bit more thought yeah it's tough Um, I want to see I want to see Jacobson out there more Or oh, sorry I'm uh, mm-hmm. really big on Epperson when he first came obviously prior to all the injuries I actually was on his side Um, during that time, and he just had he's he could be really skilled. Uh, I, I would love to for a coach to find more time for him, but I understand rotations. I understand sometimes you could just kind of fall out of rotations as well. But so I would put Jacob at the five. See I want to see. see Antoine develop more at the f- I'm sorry, Antoine more at the what at, at the four. Yeah, I'd like to see. So Jacob at the five, Antoine at the four, obviously Mitch uh, at the three, um, or sorry, Denzel at the three, uh, Mitch at the two, and Marcus at the one. Mm-hmm. So let's see if I got that right. Marcus Mitch, Denzel, Antoine, and Jacob. Yes. I-, I think I think that's got some some pretty good potential, especially obviously if Jacob could stay healthy. Um, but from what I saw when he first got again, like I said, prior to, to injuries, when he first got to campus, man, he he was moving well, he was jumping well, he was shooting the mid range very well. Uh, he's a skilled guy, uh, but it's tough with all the injuries that he's had, and then to to find a spot into rotation when Bishop and and uh, are playing so well, so. But I would love to see that. I think that's a good mix of guys. And it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. It could be a short burst here and there. Yeah. But I like that dynamic, though. For sure. Yeah, I'm not really. Uh,
0: <clears throat> I'm not really sure how much we've seen this lineup, but like, first of all, it's hard. To, <laughs> I love that starting group because they're so connected defensively. Like they have unbelievable potential. But like, I'm kind of curious if what it would look like if, like, you had a spurt where – and this is tough because Denzel's playing really well. But, like, we know – we, we talked
1: about all the – And, and that, Denzel was the odd man out that I left out. I, I yeah. even Oh, sorry. Uh, I left DJ out uh, of yeah. that lineup. And he's been playing really well, too. But, like, if you're asking me about a, a lineup that doesn't get a lot of shine together that I would like to see, I mean, that's the one of them I put together. Yeah. I, yeah. Think the, I think the Sharif at the
0: one, Marcus at the two – and you go all the way up to, like, where it's either Denzel or De- or Antoine at the five, whoever wants to tap You you
1: line. You're trying to keep it small a little bit, yeah. Like,
0: I just want to see how, <laughs> how like, bad that lineup could put it on somebody. Because, like, last year when you threw Denzel in there at the five, like, I felt like – and and Matt probably disagrees and the coaching staff probably disagrees because there are elements of the game that weren't very good um, rebounding uh, yeah. you know, probably guarding in the, in the post, things like that. So there give is some, take, yeah. yeah, there is some give and take there, but like offensively it's just unguardable. <laughs> it just is. So if you could like put, you know, I don't like taking Christian out the floor, but if you had like a three minute spell where you, to, where you had to take him out and maybe they've got, maybe your opponent has a super physical big man that maybe Ryan isn't handling so far very well, like in his first mm-hmm. time go small and force that big man to have to guard Antoine, Denzel, Mitch, uh, Marcus, Sharif, like that type of thing. Like that, I feel like would be pretty difficult if you had, because Sharif's been handling the ball pretty well, to making good decisions. Um, you're keeping Marcus on the floor, so you still have really good pass, really good shooter, really good scorer. Same with Mitch. Um, Denzel dynamic. Uh, you know, Antoine dynamic and like that kind of thing. I know you're taking Christian and DJ out of there and that takes a lot of like those little things that we talked about off the floor. But at the same time, when you're just talking about like putting just an unbelievable like energetic lineup out there that can score at a high level, I'm curious to see how often they go to that. Because they tried it out today Uh, a little bit for the first time.
1: What I like from both of our lineups um, that we put together theoretically is that on both lineups, you have at least four guys who could really shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. So... That goes to show the depth of this team, uh how good of shooters they all are. So realistically, like, you could put any number of guys together and, you know, you're at least going to have three or four guys who could really shoot the ball on the floor at all times. So that that's something that uh, Craig can hang their hats on for sure. Um And you know that this team is never going to lack for shooting. <laughs> so that's, that's always a positive. <laughs> right, right. Um I think
0: we have... One more. Um, we did get a question about pulling yourself up on um, on the rim for dunks being a technical foul. Did the refs change that? No, because I've seen them t dudes up already this year for that crap. Um, should they? Yes. Oh, like, come on. That's really?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a safety thing, too. Like, I understand that. Part yeah. Of it too, but some guys obviously go a little bit overboard. Mm-hmm. But i don't know it's up to the ref's discretion
0: yeah
1: everything is up to the referee's discretion so yeah.
0: <laughs> story of your we're, life
1: <laughs> we're really nitpicking here if we're going to talk about guys yeah. on the rim, so. I, am,
0: I am pro i am pro chin up on the rim <laughs> um lance raby wants to know shout out to the volleyball play guy who was basketball too um mm-hmm. How dangerous is a let-it-fly offense that now includes three potent inside players? Is that what's been missing in the past?
1: Oh, good question. Um, Obviously, it makes it very dangerous because uh, I relate it to, like, there's spacing on the floor, and then there's vertical spacing that you also want. So having a guy that's, that's a lob threat who can go up there and get it, who could Uh, give you the extra uh, opportunities offensively and stuff like that. Like offensive rebound, kick it out to a shooter that's right there standing still, which is the easiest uh, three to hit after an offensive rebound. Um, It it definitely adds to the dynamic of what a team can do. Now, it's a really good question. One of my favorite teams to watch after I graduated was that uh, JP team with Taz and Marcus and, and Wap at the point. And uh, I think was Toby's the starting four for, the, for that year? I'm not uh, sure he might have been. Cole, Cole. Cole. my yeah, bad. yeah Cole. Um, that was one of my favorite teams to watch because JP vertical spacing that I'm talking about where it really opened up Max' playbook with, that's when we started to see Dribble handoff with lobs and and like real players with a dynamic point guard and Maurice who was able to get in the paint and get everybody involved. A guy with JP who could go up and get it. Guys on the perimeter who could catch and shoot or create their own shots or put their head down and drive when they needed to. Um, and then I would have loved to see if JP stayed back one year, how that following team – would have looked the team when I think Martine became the starting five and he actually fit into that uh, vertical lob threat as well mm-hmm. uh, to some degree. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's an interesting question because it just opens up. If you give Mac more weapons, <laughs> he's going to figure out great ways to use him. Yeah. Like, that's, so that's the only thing. Um, I, again, I, look back at my 2014 year which I'm, I'm sure whoever has a question is probably thinking about that team as well because you we guys didn't, didn't go the, you guys didn't go five out until like a couple of games in right yeah right so yeah. we started with Will inside uh Will Artino inside and then after our west coast trip for Thanksgiving uh it was actually against Nebraska that Ethan got his first start and then we never looked back after that if I'm not mistaken so um or did it? I think I think, I think Long Beach long long, against Long Beach State. Long yeah, state. Long yeah, yeah long you're short. right against Long Beach State. So we didn't have that guy inside necessarily, but Doug played positionless basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doug was everywhere. So yeah. sometimes he was inside, sometimes he was out, and having weapons like Doug and Ethan, Coach Mac thought about ways to use those guys. Mm-hmm. Thought about the most efficient and best ways for us to uh, move on the court and we figured it out and we were became that dynamic of an offense because we didn't have that presence inside. That was just logging in time, trying to post up and trying to um, crowd the inside. So uh, all all it really comes down to is X's and O's. If the coaches were able to put guys in position. Now I will say having more size helps. I think one of the things that uh, like, as I think back in retrospect, I think Ethan really got worn down as the year went on, always having to defend bigger guys. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that, like, what we did on offense, it's what we did on the defense that really wore down on Ethan, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from that standpoint, having more athletic guys like uh, Bishop and taller and longer guys like Cogbrenner, who are able to take that pressure off of the guards defensively. Uh, could help, certainly help this team go a long way. So I, I guess all in all, I would agree with, yeah, having bigger guys or are a little bit more dynamic. Um, it might take some of the spacing out, like compared to a team like the one that we had, uh, but it could be more beneficial um, with the style of play that this team wants to have where it stems from their defense, they're able to run up and then create for each other in a free-flowing Equal opportunity offense. Yeah, yeah, I
0: totally, I, I completely agree. I don't even know if I have much to add. I guess I'm trying to think like if you look at what's been missing, right? Like if you attribute that there's a there's a glaring weakness that can't be filled, that's led to maybe the postseason wall being hit a little bit sooner than you would expect. Is like, I feel like it starts on the defensive end and. That versatility of the five man, I think, like you mentioned, the rim, the rim pressure it puts on, like just the element of the game that it adds to having that vertical post game. But like, if you have a five man who can guard the perimeter, I think from a, just disrupting other teams' timing, like just throwing off a play. Like if you set a ball screen and Christian blitzes it and sends that point guard out to like you know, just two or three steps towards midcourt. You've thrown that whole playoff already right there. Right. So, like, it's you, you kill other teams' rhythm if you have a five that can, that can bliss and recover the way Christian can. And then also offensively, he's he's expanding his game because he's, he's already shown now against Kansas, like, hey, if I'm trailing and you don't check me, I'm going to stick one in your eye. Um, he's yeah. hit mid-range jumpers with over-contested hands, like, um, who's that rocky kid from North Dakota State. Uh, I forget his last name. Um, but he's a seven-footer, a legit seven-footer, really skilled, had a hand up in, his, in Christian's face, and he still buried an 18-footer on the baseline. Like, that element of the game is now you have to guard Christian there um, the more you put that on film. We've already talked about the pick-and-roll game and having Ballack and Mahoney and the other, on, the, on the weak side with the gravity and what that opens up. We talked about Marcus's feel of seeing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's like the five, the versatile five man. It's not necessarily like a post player in terms of the traditional sense. It's a versatile five. And I think like you said, with JP, um, with Martine, with, with Christian, you see like that there's a, there's a higher ceiling than normal. When you have a five mm-hmm. that can do all the things they can do defensively from a versatility standpoint of being able to guard down, um, bang around with bigger post players and make shots tough for them, uh, rebound really well on the defensive glass, and then put all the pressure they do on offense. That's, that's, that's pretty hard to stop when you surround a guy like that with just an unbelievable plethora of shooters. Like, because you can't guard all of that. And then on the other end, you're really struggling to find good looks and space and timing to keep up with what Creighton does offensively. So I think, like, just having a versatile five-man, a small ball – Six seven six six eight type of guy who's strong and physical and fast, like that's that's the key to unlocking like what Creighton uh, can do in terms of like making a historical impact on the game from a tournament standpoint. I think that's how you unlock it is having a guy like that.
1: The other part too, like to add on to that, is the game has moved away from having a dynamic five where you're running cross screens in yeah. order to get them open and you're you're dumping it down and you're saying just go get me one the game doesn't necessarily move like that anymore. Like, I remember when I first came in, we were running sets like that for Kenny, and then we ran set like that for Gregory Mm Echinike. And, you know, Mac is so uh, dynamic with his X's and O's that when we had those guys, yeah, let's go. We could play that way. Uh, But when we didn't have those guys anymore, we went five out, and he figured out an offense for that. And then when my group left... And he started getting runners and jumpers. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's do this with these guys, you know. So it's all about giving the architect those kind of weapons, and then Mac is gonna find ways to play those guys and put them in the right spots. I will never have any doubt in my mind about that. For sure.
0: And you used to Guardian too when you come back for the summer, so <laughs> <It's beautiful. laughs> um those legs still move man i give you he, giants comes back and he looks like a pro in the summer like he's not done uh,
1: <laughs> my my summertime honestly like this year notwithstanding yeah. i just I, I enjoy coming back to omaha i enjoy catching up with everyone i enjoy using a beautiful facility that i didn't have access to when i was there i think that's actually one of the things that i love the most is just to walk into championship uh see familiar faces and then it it just kind of feels like calm it it helps that i got about a 40 foot mural up there <laughs> but, <laughs> but no it's it's always a fun time and and i get to know the younger guys uh those guys pick my brain those guys have aspirations to play pro i think some of those guys also understand uh that it's not always nba there there's ways to make money and there's ways to continue your, your career after uh, college is all said and done to come over to Europe. So being a seven-year vet now, I, I can't even believe that I'm saying that. Being a seven-year vet, um, I have some knowledge that those guys are are asking about and they, they pick my brain and I like to help out the, the younger generation in mm. any way that I can. So it, it's fun to still be a fan. I get super nostalgic. Uh, I I start to think about all of my favorite memories whenever i'm watching games and stuff like that so uh it's just awesome to be affiliated with this crane family still so. yeah we appreciate you man like and also it probably helps that the staircase to go to the practice facility now is like three steps as opposed to a, a spiral <laughs> of like the, the spiral <laughs> yeah uh, man, Super. We, we used to say like we use the old uh phone analogy like if you were at a hundred percent when you step foot on that first step on the spiral, your battery went down to about 50 immediately. <laughs> and that old gym, that old gym floor with the cement underneath took years off my life. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. How many years I'll know at the end, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know when I'm there.
0: <laughs> it was so funny. Like the last year before while well, the championship center was being built, like I was going up there for like watching practice and stuff. And like the, the base of like the backboard, that little padding, like yeah. hanging down it's like yeah yeah,
1: yeah yeah, jesus put this thing to sleep already like yeah. what are you doing in here yeah and, it was, and cool. it was but you know what we were never out of shape because it was a longer court mm-hmm. and so when we got on the game floor like it, everything was fine it was like clockwork but practices were tiring because that extra whatever seven feet i think it was uh really like took a takes a lot out of you and you don't even really realize it so yeah
0: for sure yeah, it's pretty funny the way you guys – I love hearing stories about, like, the way they're trained versus <laughs> what they see on a daily basis now. Um Yeah, yeah we, need to, we need to look up for, like, a, one of these, like, old-timer stories. Not to call you old, but – like Doug. you like hey, Doug. Um, like I'm, I'm 29 Grant. now. I know, I'm right? Now.
1: Almost I'm, I'm oh. about Grant. I'm about Grant's age when he actually graduated, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm getting up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: we'll have you on. We'll, we'll try to we'll try to link up again for a post game again because this was awesome. For sure. Um, and obviously like despite the uh, personality aside, you see the game and think the game really well. So I appreciate your analysis tonight. Yeah. Um, it, it helps Probably. to have you on in a certain Nebraska game when you're a little bit more juiced up.
1: <laughs> pick it up at 5 a.m in lithuania watching it for sure like i um, said i don't have anything to do tomorrow so i'm not gonna wake up for a long time after this <laughs> all right man
0: get your rest uh get back on your feet and uh yeah, sir. do your thing out there man hope you have a merry christmas
1: thank you merry christmas happy holidays all that good stuff see you jay